Do you have solo economic dependency? That is, if you aren't working, you aren't making money. The Art of Passive Income Podcast is the solution. Discover passive income models so you can enjoy life on your own terms. Let freedom ring. Hey, it's Mark Podolsky, The Land Geek, their favorite niche real estate website, www.thelandgeek.com. And I'm super excited for today's guests. But before we talk to our guests, I'd be remiss if I didn't properly introduce my co-host, you know him, you love him, Scott Todd from scotttodd.net, landmodo.com. If you're not automating your Craigslist and your Facebook postings, postingdomination.com forward slash the land geek, learn anything about anything, investorninjas.com. Scott Todd, how excited are you? Scott, you're on mute there, buddy. Uh-oh, sorry about that. I'm so excited, I can't wait. Yeah, because we've got the smartest guy in the room. Um, this has been a big problem for me. Uh, and I actually read the book. So let's introduce Nir Ayal. Um, you probably know Nir Ayal. He writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. The MIT Technology Review uh, Nir the profit of habit-forming technology. Um, He's founded two tech companies since 2003 and has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hassel Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. He is the author of the best-selling book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. In addition to blogging at nearandfar.com, Nir's writing has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch, and Psychology Today. Nir graduated the Stanford Graduate School of Business at Emory University. Oh, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. So excited to have you. Let's just kind of rewind the tape. Why start your book Hooked? And then, you know, what was it about the technology that made you re write that book? And then the antidote in Indistractable. Yeah, so Hooked is really about how do we steal the secrets of companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack. I mean, if these companies are so good at creating these products that are so amazingly engaging, the idea was how can we use that same psychology to get people hooked to all kinds of other things, right? That the vast majority of businesses out there are desperate for people to interact with them. And so what I wanted to do was to steal these secrets to make it possible so that anyone building a business can use the same tactics that these companies use to make their products more habit forming in order to build healthy habits in people's lives. So my techniques have been used uh, for, with FitBod, got people hooked to exercising in the gym. Uh, Kahoot, the world's largest educational software, uses the hooked model to get people hooked to education. Uh, if you think about the New York Times, one of my former clients, uh, I taught them how to get people hooked to checking the news every day. And so you can use these tactics, my hope was, so that we can build these healthy habits in our life. And then using the knowledge that I had as being this industry insider, understanding the deeper reason what makes these products so sticky and engaging, I wanted to write a book about how do we break the bad habits. If Hooked was about building good habits, Indistractable is about how do we break these bad habits. And so the book is not just about technology. It's about all sorts of distractions that we face that take us off track from what we really want to do in life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I read Indistractable. I loved it. Thank I you. I kind of talk a little bit about, you know, your sort of definition of distraction. 
Absolutely. So that's a great place to start is to understand what I mean by, uh, by distraction. Uh, a great place to, to understand this is not to just understand what is distraction, but also to understand what is the opposite of distraction. So most people, if you say, hey, what's the opposite of distraction, they'll tell you it's focus. But I disagree. I think that the opposite of distraction, if you look at the entomology of the word, you'll find that the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. So traction and distraction, both come the, from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent. And the, so, so we have got traction. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from what you plan to do with intent. So this is really important for two reasons. Number one, anything can be a distraction. How many times have you sat down at your desk and said, now I'm going to do that thing that I've been procrastinating on. I'm finally going to get to work. I'm finally going to do that thing that I've been delaying. Here I go right after I check email. Right, right after I scroll that Slack channel, right after I do this quick Google search and you keep putting off the thing that you planned for yourself to do. And that turns out to be a much more common and pernicious source of distraction is what we call pseudo work. These tasks that, well, I gotta check email at some point, right? That feels kind of productive, right? But if it's not what you plan to do with your time, you are prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. And this is a cancer on your productivity. So just as anything can become a distraction, anything can also become traction. So this is the second really important point here is that I argue, unlike many tech critics that say, oh, you know, stop checking Facebook or stop using Google or whatever it might be, that stuff's rotting your brain. I think that's ridiculous. I am not one of these tech critics that tells you to stop using technology. That's ridiculous. These tools are wonderful. They're great. They can help you be so much more productive, so much more happier. They can connect you with other people out there. They can help you get your work done if you use them on your schedule, not on the app makers. So there's no moral hierarchy here. You know, I hear people saying, oh, video games, that's frivolous, or watching YouTube videos, that's a waste of time. I call BS. There's no difference between planning to go on Facebook or check Instagram or whatever you enjoy doing. There's no difference between that and watching a football game for three hours. There's no difference. And so the idea here is to do whatever it is that you want to do with your time, whatever is consistent with your values is fine as long as you plan to do that with your time. I love it. Scott Todd, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I love it. And I've always struggled to, uh, to kind of explain this because Mark, one of the things I teach is I teach about how like I automate some of the simple processes in my life. Like I, I need to like scan some documents in Well, I scan it into Dropbox and I have Zapier watch that Dropbox folder and then send an email to the right party. And people are like, dude, you automated something that takes you 30 seconds. And I'm like, no, what I did was I automated a task that kept me out of my email because when I would go into my email, it was like a rabbit hole. I got a notification from Facebook that someone tagged me in a record. And then I'm like, Oh, I got to go see what I was tagged in 40 minutes later. I leave Facebook and I go back to my email and I noticed that Amazon's having a sale. And like, next thing you know, I'm looking at 20 minutes on Amazon and I go back to my email. I shut it down and I'm like, I never sent the email I needed to. Yes, right? So exactly. it doesn't work. And it was really kind of cool to hear the, the explanation because I always struggled to like, it's not that I automated a 30 second task. It's that I gave more emphasis to the traction as opposed to the distraction.
Right. That's exactly right. And so these are called liminal moments, these moments in between tasks. It's, you know, when you're sitting at a, a red light and you check your phone real quick, uh, waiting for the light to change color. It's when you go from one meeting to the next and you start checking email and then you sit down at your desk and you're still checking email. These liminal moments between tasks are, are really dangerous. I mean, literally, they can be dangerous if you're checking your phone while you're driving, but they can be productivity killers if you keep checking your device when you plan to do some other project. So one of the best things you can do for your personal productivity is to make a schedule, is to plan ahead. And you know, everything in my book, these aren't just personal anecdotes, everything in my book, not only do these techniques work because I've tested them, but these are backed by peer-reviewed studies. So, so there's 30 pages of citations in this book of peer-reviewed journals that have used these techniques. And one of the most effective things that you can do is to plan your day. This is called by psychologists, it's called making an implementation intention. And the big idea here is that you're just planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. Why is this so important? Look, two-thirds of people out there don't keep any sort of a calendar, okay? Two-thirds of people don't keep a calendar. We're complaining about how distracted we are, how we can't seem to get anything done, but I don't want to hear you complaining unless you have planned out what you want to do with your time. Let's think about it. If you don't know what you're going to do with your time, everything is a distraction, so the idea here is that you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So by keeping what I call a time box calendar, and I'll give you a link in the show notes. I made this free tool. You don't have to sign up for anything. It's totally free. I'll give you a link in the show notes where you can build your weekly calendar, your ideal plan for what you want to do with your time. And let me tell you, that practice of making a time box calendar and then synchronizing that calendar with your husband, your wife, your domestic partner, your boss, this will change your life. It saved my marriage. It greatly increased my personal productivity. It's an absolutely critical step to becoming indistractable. So you're making the argument then there's no white space in the calendar. No white space in the every, calendar. Every, every minute is accounted for. Now, that doesn't mean that you never fall off track. I still fall off track, but here's the thing. I know why I fell off track. You know, there's this great quote, uh, Paulo Coelho said that a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. How many of us keep getting distracted by the same stuff again and again and again, and we have made a decision to be distracted? And what I want people to do is to live out their values by turning their values into time. So I'm not going to tell you what your value should be. That's up to you to decide. But whatever it is that's important to you, taking care of your health, being with your family, putting in concentrated work at your, at your job, whatever it might be, I want to help you accomplish those tasks. And the only way you can do that stuff is not through a to-do list. I'm here to tell you that a to-do list is typically a waste of time. Most people do not keep to-do lists properly. You know, you do what I used to do. I had a to-do list of 100 things to do every day, and I had a great day. I got through 10 of my to-dos, and then I'm still staring at 90 more things to do that get recycled from one day to the next to the next. That's a horrible feeling. And then what most people do when they get to the end of the day and say, oh, I still haven't accomplished everything, you give up. It's called the what the hell effect. It's literally a, a psychological phenomenon. They say, oh, I got too much to do. Why even try? Let's turn on some Netflix. 
okay? And so the idea here, as opposed to keeping a to-do list, which is a record of output, it's what you want to finish, right? What you want to do, instead what you wanna do is keep a record of the input by putting that time on your calendar. So don't put finish this, finish that on your to-do list. What you wanna do instead is in your calendar, say to yourself, I want to spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, whatever it is you wanna do, working on that task without distraction. If you just do that, say I wanna work on this task for 30 minutes or 45 minutes without distraction, eventually by tracking the input, by making sure that you're holding yourself accountable to the input, of course the output will follow. Yeah, and, and let's get a little meta with this, Nir, because I know that in the book, you're talking about how you yourself, you're writing the book, and you start to get distracted by your own research yeah. instead of the actual writing. Can you talk about the, the techniques that you used? Um, I love the term surf the urge. Yeah. And, and how you were able to break through that. And this, just this awareness of it, I think for a lot of people, is, is sort of the, the aha moment of, oh my gosh, I can be intentional with my life and get stuff done. Absolutely. So, so there's, there's four steps to becoming indistractable. And I talked about one of them, the second step. The second step is about making time for traction. The third step is about hacking back the external triggers. And the fourth step is about preventing distraction with pacts. And these are more tactical. This is kind of nuts and bolts stuff. But really, if you look at it, the source of most distraction in our lives and step one on this journey to becoming indistractable is about mastering the internal triggers. You see, most distraction does not come from the pings and dings and rings. It's not your cell phone. It's not your computer. Those things can be a source of distraction, but it turns out on a numerical basis, the source of most distraction in our life is not the stuff that happens outside of us, but rather it's what's happening inside of us. That if you look at why we get distracted, the root cause of most distraction is what's called an internal trigger. An internal trigger is an uncomfortable state that we seek to escape from. We know this to be true physiologically, right? If you, uh, if you go outside, then the brain tells you, hey, this is cold out here, right? I, need, I, I don't feel good. It's too cold. Put on a coat. If you go back inside, now you're too warm. The brain says, oh, this is uncomfortable. Take off the coat. If you feel hunger pangs, that doesn't feel good. You eat. And if you're stuffed, right, if you eat too much, your body, your brain tells you, hey, that doesn't feel comfortable. Stop eating. So we need to come to grips with the fact that all human behavior, all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort. All human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort. So physiologically, that's obvious, right? We call this the homeostatic response. We know that the same uh, effect is seen when it comes to our psychological sensations. So when you're feeling lonely, you check Facebook. When you're uncertain, you Google. When you're bored, you check stock prices and sports scores and the news and Pinterest and Reddit. All of these things cater to these uncomfortable internal triggers. So if all behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort. By the way, even the pursuit of pleasure, right? Even wanting, craving, desire, lusting. There's a reason we say love hurts because neurologically that is exactly what is happening. The brain is prompting us to action through these uncomfortable emotional states. So if all behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, that means that time management is pain management. 
And this is a really important point because I don't care what life hacks you've heard or what books you've read about how to be more productive. Fundamentally, if we don't face this fact, we get distracted because we are looking to escape an uncomfortable sensation. If we don't face that fact and have tools to deal with it in a healthier manner, we will always become distracted by one thing or another. Todd. So my, I have a question. So I, I agree. Like everything is driven, driven by us trying to get out of situations, right. You know, or to, to avoid that. So a lot goes along that same route or the same mindset a lot, a lot with like achieving success too. Right. Like, or in our case, people who are trying to get going in like their real estate investing. Well, what happens is if you don't have that like burning desire or whatever, like you're probably not going to get the levels that you want. How can you use what you're teaching and have somebody create that burning desire or how can you leverage this knowing it? How can you leverage it to get the results that you want? Yeah. So you can either increase the motivation or you can reduce the friction of doing what it is you want to do. So there's two ways about it. So you can psych yourself out and get, you know, really, really motivated, which is actually really hard to do. We know that willpower, self-control, self-discipline doesn't work all that well right? That, that, that's, that kind of stuff really does fail in the moment. What we need to do is to build a system so that we don't need a lot of willpower. We don't need a lot of self-control because the fact of the matter is, don't we all know what to do? I mean, really, is it, is it, uh, is it a mystery how to lose weight, how to get into shape, how to have better relationships, how to do better at your job? You basically know what to do, what we don't know how to do is to how to stop getting distracted. How do we make sure we don't go off track? And so that's where we set up this system in place to make sure that we don't do something that we'll later regret. So one, there's many techniques that I talk about in the book, but that first step of mastering these internal triggers comes down to reimagining these uncomfortable states that we seek to escape from. So, you know, if you know, when it comes to real estate investing, there's a lot of stuff that you got to do, right? A lot of, a, a lot of crap needs to be shoveled to find properties, to manage them. There's a lot of where to run the numbers. There's a lot of boring stuff that needs to get done. Well, the idea here is that despite knowing what you need to do, sometimes we don't do it. We go off track. So first and foremost, understanding why we go off track, what sensation, what are you feeling that are, you are looking to escape from with distraction? Are you checking email as opposed to running the numbers because you're feeling bored, anxious, lonely, uncertain, fatigued? What is that internal trigger that you are feeling? And how can you learn a healthier manner to deal with that discomfort so that it leads you towards a healthful behavior as opposed to a harmful behavior? So there are many, many, many techniques in the book. I'm happy to describe any of them through any uh, jumped out at you. But uh, that's really the, the, the strategy here that we have to get into our heads to understand that uncomfortable state and then have tactics to cope with it in a healthier way. Yeah, one of my favorite chapters in Indistractable was just the whole thing on parenting. Mm. So I've got three teenagers. Scott's got two teenagers. I know you have young kids. This is the thing now. It's a generational thing. All the parents are up in arms. Oh, these, these kids, all they do, they're on Instagram. They can't connect anymore. You go to a restaurant. Everyone's on their phone. You had a, sort of a different take on it. Can you yeah. kind of elaborate about that? Yeah, so this is, this is uh, you know, gets to the core of, of this idea of how internal triggers, how, un, uh, how discomfort drives our behaviors and leads us towards distraction. I think the more important question is not what we observe, 
It's why do we observe what we observe? Why do kids seem to spend so much time online? And what we see is that they are deficient in the three psychological nutrients. We know that you know, we have macronutrients for our body, fat, protein, and carbohydrates. And it turns out that psychologically, we also have these three psychological nutrients. And this is, this is not a new theory. I didn't make this up. This is 50-year-old research. It's called self-determination theory. Any psychologist knows about it. It's the most widely accepted theory of human flourishing and motivation. Self-determination theory says that every human being on the face of the earth needs three things. They need a sense of competency, a sense of autonomy, and a sense of relatedness. So if you look at these three things, it turns out that kids are severely deficient in these three things that they need for psychological flourishing. Not all kids, but certainly the kids that are overusing technology, because what we see is when you are deficient in these three psychological nutrients in the real world, you go looking for them in the online rule world. So competency, for example, one thing that has uh, proliferated along with the use of, of smartphones in this country is the rise of standardized testing. So kids today are tested more than any other generation in history through this No Child Left Behind Act and all the standardized testing starting in kindergarten, two, three, four times a year, kids are tested and teachers today teach towards these tests because the teacher pay depends on it. So we have a subset of children in this country who are consistently told, you are not competent. And so what do I do if I don't feel competent? Well, the online gaming companies are offering me solutions, offering me products that make me feel good. They make me feel competent. If I play Minecraft, now I feel super competent. Let's talk about autonomy. We know that this is the most regulated generation in history. That studies have found that children today have 10 times as many restrictions placed on them as an average adult, twice as many rules and restrictions as an incarcerated felon. There are only two places in society where we can tell people where to go, what to eat, how to dress, what to think, who to be friends with, and that's school and prison. And so is it any surprise when our kids come home, they want freedom for God's sake. They want autonomy. And so where do they look for autonomy if they can't get it in the real world? They go online. Fortnite makes them feel like a god. They can control their universe, and that feels good. And then finally, relatedness. Another thing that we have seen is a 50-year low in the amount of time kids have for what's called free play. The work of Peter Gray has shown that never in American history, since we've recorded these statistics, have kids had so little time to just play. Why? Because the media has freaked us out, us parents, we don't let our kids outside because we're afraid of stranger danger or, you know, our kids getting abducted, even though that's almost never happens. This is the safest time in history to be a child in this country. Or people who have money, they hyper schedule their kids between the Kumon and the swimming lessons and the ballet lessons and the, you know, the test prep. Kids have no time for play. And psychologists tell us that play without the gaze of coaches, without the gaze of teachers and parents, kids interacting with other kids is the most healthy thing you can do for your kids' psychological flourishing and well-being. But there's no time for it anymore. So where do kids go to feel this sense of relatedness that they need? Well, they go online, right? Instagram, right? Snapchat, TikTok. This is where they interact with each other. So the root cause is not the technology. The technology is a symptom. The real root cause is that they are deficient in these three psychological nutrients. Yeah, it, it, it's so true. And I, I see it with my own kids. But what the book allowed me to do was take a deep breath 
and not freak out. Mm. And have this new lens that, okay, I'm not such a terrible parent to give them this free time to be on Instagram and allow them to connect and give them that autonomy. And if my son's playing Fortnite and he's bragging to me about his 10 kills, well, great. That's a sense of competency. It's not just, you know, all this sort of hair wringing, oh my gosh, this is rotting your brain. It's really not, you're getting some needs met. It's a matter of, and I remember in the book, you made this comment about swimming. Yeah. And you want to sort of end with that before we go to the tip of the Sure. Week. Yeah. So the metaphor here is, is like a swimming pool. That swimming pools kill thousands of children, right? Lots of kids drown because they don't know how to swim. Does that mean we shouldn't let our kids swim? No, we should teach them how to use these tools appropriately. We should teach them how to swim. And by the way, I'm not advocating for more tech use, right? I think that there's nothing better than real world play, not online, real world play. But I also think that a couple hours a day, we know that there is not one study, not even one study that shows that two hours or less of age appropriate screen time has any deleterious effects. Where we start to see some negative effects is four or five, six hours of extracurricular screen time. That's where we start to see these problems. And so the idea here is, you know, social media and video games are a great supplement but they're not a replacement for real world interaction. I think we as parents need to make sure that if you know we're gonna schedule our kids for the baseball practice and the soccer practice and the Kumon and the Mandarin lessons, we also need to schedule time for them to play, for them to interact with other kids uh, and, and, inter and, and play with each other. So, but I think that reasonable amounts of, of screen time if we teach our kids how to become indistractable is not a problem. And here's the thing, we need to remember that as parents, we're not raising kids we are raising future adults. And if there is one skill that your kid needs to learn for the century ahead is the skill to be indistractable. If you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years, right? This trend is not going backwards. Who knows what's next? Augmented reality, virtual reality. The world is only going to become a more distracting place. And so if we want to give kids this skill set to control their attention, to choose their life, they need to learn how to be indistractable, which by the way, starts with setting a good example. You know, kids are hypocrisy detection devices. They can see when we mess up and they love calling us out. So if you want to raise indistractable kids, we have to become indistractable ourselves as parents. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, your mentorship has been phenomenal, this podcast. I can't thank, thank you enough. And, uh, but we do want to put you on the spot for one more piece of advice, a yeah. tip, a quote, a book, something else actionable for the Art of Passive Income listeners to go improve their businesses, improve their lives. Near IL, what do you got? Okay, so let me give you, I think, the core mantra from this book. If there's one lesson that I learned in the five years researching and writing this book, it's this, that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Procrastination, distraction, this is a problem of impulsiveness. It's when we do something in the moment that we later regret. How do we fix that? Well, our species has this amazing ability to do something that no other creature on the face of the earth can do. We have the ability to see the future with greater fidelity than any other animal. We can predict what is going to happen much better than any other animal can.
So the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. We have to plan ahead. If the chocolate cake is on the fork on its way to your mouth, you're going to eat it. If the cigarette is lit in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If your cell phone is on your nightstand and you sleep away from, you sleep closer to your phone than you do to your spouse, you're going to pick it up first thing in the morning. And so the idea here is to plan ahead, is to have a system that doesn't rely on willpower and self-control and self-discipline, but instead have a system where we have thought in advance to master the internal triggers, to make time for traction, to hack back the external triggers, and finally prevent distraction with pacts. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Scott Todd, what's your tip of the week? Oh. Well, Mark, I've got a, uh, I want you to check out cocoon.com. Okay. Cocoon.com and cocoon is its own little private social network. You can create your own private social network. Right. And I'm not talking about like for everybody, I'm talking about like for the people that are really meaningful in your life, like your family, maybe your closest of friends, maybe just your family, whatever it is. And so you can have this cocoon and you can see what's going on. It, it will update based on like steps and what they're doing. You can just, just touch somebody and, and say like, hey, I'm just thinking about you. And they'll get that notification. It's a small, social, intimate thing. That way you can stay uh, less distracted in the big social medias. Yeah, that's, I, I love it. And uh, my tip of the week, as great as that is, Scott, is the best tip of the week, which is learn more at near, N-I-R, and A-N-D, far.com. Um, it's, he's got, the blog is amazing. You can check out Hooked, Indistractable. What was awesome for me, Near, uh, about the book was all the supplemental information. And if there's one thing, I've talked about this in the tip of the week, that has really moved the, light, uh, moved the needle for me in being indistractable is not killing trees. So when I wanna get something <laughs> done, I go to the forest app, I don't kill any trees, and I can take that time, whether it's, you know, writing the second book or whatever I want to get done to get that pseudo work, you know, not, not avoid, not do pseudo work anymore, get the real work done. That has been um, a life changer for me, but there's been, there's so many tips and tricks and tactics in there. Uh, I really highly recommend everybody go nearandfar.com, get the book, Near Ial. Thank you so much. Are we good? My pleasure. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate the recommendation. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Mark. And yeah, thank you very much for everyone listening. All right. And I want to just remind the listeners, the only way we're going to get the quality of guests like Anir Ayal from nearandfar.com and the author of Hooked and Indistractable is if you do those three little favors, you got to subscribe, you got to rate, you got to review the podcast, send us a screenshot of that review to support at thelandgeek.com. We're going to send you for free the $97 Passive Income Launch Kit as well as the new wholetailing course, How to Double Your Money, 30 Days or Less. And today's podcast is sponsored by Flight School. Learn more, just go to thelandgeek.com forward slash training. All right, here we go. One, two, three, let. Let freedom. Freedom. Ring. Ring. After that, in your eye, I was like, I'm not coming back. To that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I couldn't support it more. Thank you, guys. So, so geeky. Thanks, Nir. Thank you. All right. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Art of Passive Income podcast. Start your journey at www.thelandgeek.com and www.scotttodd.net. Rate and review the podcast and email support at thelandgeek.com. Your screenshot for a free passive income launch kit.